open up your Bibles to Jonah chapter 4, verses 5 through 11. We're going to be uh, getting through uh, the entire last part of the book of Jonah. That doesn't necessarily mean we're done with the book of Jonah. I think we still have a few things to talk about, so we'll be getting into those next week. There was a kid, and this kid uh, was just annoying his dad. You know, he kept poking his dad with a ruler, just poking him, just poking him, just bonk, right? And and eventually the dad just lost it, just got angry, and he asked, what are you doing? And the boy just says, I'm measuring your patience. <laughs> I love that. God is so patient. Guys, God is so patient, even though I think sometimes we are maybe even annoying him with uh, our testing of him. Um, there's another story, a, a Hebrew tradition, an old one, where they they used to tell a story where Abraham was sitting outside his tent one evening and he saw this, he saw this old man, he was all weary and old and he was coming in from a journey and and coming right towards Abraham. So Abraham rushed out and greeted him and invited him into his tent. And there he, he washed that old man's feet and he gave him food and some drink and he just was taking care of this old guy, right? And the old guy immediately began eating without saying a prayer or a blessing or anything. And Abraham asked him, kind of shocked, he said, don't you worship God? The old traveler replied, I worship only fire and and uh, I don't reverence any other God. I don't worship any God. I only believe in things I can see and feel. So I worship fire. Fire is my God. When he heard this, Abraham became angry, incensed, and he grabbed the old man by his shoulders and threw him out into the cold night air. And when the old man departed, God called to his friend Abraham and he asked him where the stranger was. And Abraham replied, I forced him out because he did not worship you. And God answered, I have suffered him these 80 years, even though he dishonors me. Couldn't you endure with him one night? God is so patient. Yes, there will come a time where there will be a reckoning, there will be a judgment, but God is so patient and he is inviting us to be patient at the same time. All right, so we're going to get started with Jonah chapter 4, verse 4, and the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? Remember what's going on here is that Jonah has walked into Nineveh, and he has told the Ninevites they're going to be overthrown in 40 days. He's so excited about this. He wants God to destroy Nineveh. But the whole city repented and uh, changed their behavior, started being kind to one another, and Jonah is not happy at all. He's so angry. So God comes to him right here and he says, is it right for you to be angry? You see, God wants to counsel his prophet, his child. He wants to teach him. He loves Jonah and he wants to correct Jonah, but Jonah really isn't ready right here. But God is 
patient, all right? So God's going to give some time to Jonah. He's going he's gonna to be patient with Jonah. And it's funny because that is the very thing that Jonah is upset about. That God is being patient with Nineveh. And this is a logical fallacy that Jonah has going on, right? How can Jonah be angry with God for being patient and forgiving with the people of Nineveh and not realize that God is also being patient with him? God has already been patient with Jonah, right? He's already been merciful to him. Remember the whole story of Jonah running away from God and then getting swallowed by a whale and you know, having a conversation and obtaining God's mercy in the middle of that terrible time that he was in. And God is going to address this with Jonah, okay? But Jonah, he isn't listening right now. Uh, it's like nobody's home, right? God is trying to ring the doorbell and nobody's home for Jonah. Yet, God is patient. He knows everything about us, including how sometimes... We need time to come around. He's willing to be patient. He's very patient. God will wait. God is not in a hurry. He will walk with us in silence if we are angry. He will listen to us if we're griping. And at this moment, or at, at his moment, whatever moment is God chooses, he will speak. And when he speaks, he will speak truth. He'll tell us the truth. And he will speak grace. He will offer us grace. And he will speak love. He will tell us how much he loves us. Why will he do these things? Because those are his character. That is his character. He's consistent. He always does the same thing. So back to our text. Jonah went out of the city and he sat on the east side of the city and there he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade, till he might see what would become of the city. So Jonah is still holding out hope that God will lose his patience with Nineveh and yet keep his patience with Jonah, right? Jonah is such a hypocrite right here, right? He's just, he's so snarky. He just really wants the city of Nineveh and all those people to be destroyed by God. And the Lord God prepared a plant, and he, he made it come up over Jonah, it grew over him, right? That it might be a shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. All right, so this is the plant that, that probably that, that archaeologists and biblical scholars believe was the plant that God caused to grow. Not this actual one, but this is a castor oil plant. All right? That's what they, it, it grows up very quickly. And, and so this is kind of what it looks, well, this is what it looks like. And you can see how it could provide some nice shade, you know, from the sun. But what's going on here is God doesn't destroy Nineveh. He's, again, being patient with Nineveh. And God provides this nice castor oil plant to grow over Jonah, just giving him grace, an unearned, undeserved blessing. Jonah hasn't earned it. He doesn't deserve it. But God just gives him this blessing. Now, 
God is a little sneaky. He knows what he's going to do. He's going to teach Jonah a lesson. It says here, so Jonah was very grateful for the plant. Jonah has no problems receiving God's blessings. He's even grateful for them. He's very grateful. You know, we teach our kids, be thankful for your blessings. But that's not what this book is about. If that was, then it could have ended here. Jonah could have been thankful for the tree, uh, for the castor oil plant, for the shade. Oh, he's learned his lesson to be grateful, and it ends there. But that's not what it is. Look at what happened. God is doing a deeper work in Jonah. But as morning dawned, the next day, God prepared a worm. Uh, so here's, I thought this was a great picture of a worm eating up a plant. Um, you know, and, you know, so maybe it looked like this worm. I don't know. I've also uh, been, I read this book recently and I'm excited for the movie to come out. So there's, there's the worm from Dune. You know, it's a worm in the desert. We're in the desert here in the book of Jonah. So maybe it's a worm like this, you know, some big old sandworm destroying his plant. Who knows? I don't know. Probably more like that, though. But God prepared a worm, and so it, and it so damaged the plant that it withered, okay? And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. <clears throat> okay, so God is going to have a conversation with Jonah now. And he's preparing the table for his little chat with Jonah. God is killing the plant that Jonah loves so much. And he changes the weather so that Jonah really feels the loss of the plant. He gets hot, he gets uncomfortable, which makes Jonah irritable. And God's not afraid of irritable Jonah. God has something that he needs to do in Jonah's heart. He's doing all this to show Jonah really a picture of his own heart. God is showing Jonah his own heart. He is, he's bringing everything up to the surface. He's, he's, he wants nothing to be buried or hidden. He wants everything to come up to the surface. God would rather you pour out your bitterness and anger and talk with him about it than bury it deep down, than pretend that it does not exist. God is much more concerned about having an honest relationship with you. Now, is it right for Jonah to be angry? We're going to deal with that. God is going to deal with that. He's going to correct it. But you can't correct something that you deny is there. Jonah is angry, and he's willing to bring it out. He's willing to talk about it, but God wants him to get it all out. I mean, Jonah's more angry than he even thinks, than he even knows. And so God is setting the table. He's making, making it so that Jonah is just, just pouring it all out there. He's already asked Jonah to consider if he was right to be angry, right? Jonah didn't want to talk about it. He refused to look within. So God is going to draw what's within out of Jonah's heart. Jonah is sinful, prideful, arrogant, and selfish. Uh, those, are, those are the realities of Jonah's heart. And God knows how to draw those things out, and he knows how to get his point across. 
we should always be asking ourselves, is God trying to teach me something? Is God drawing something out? You know, my day has just been awful. I, it seems like everything's irritating me. It seems like everything's annoying me. It seems like nothing is going right. What? Stop and ask yourself, what could God be showing me? And go and have a conversation with the Lord. Pour those things out to the Lord. This is how I'm feeling. This is how I'm thinking. And let him deal with you. Let him talk with you. And then get on the same page with him is what we're seeing is, is how Jonah could respond to the Lord. But look what it says here. Jonah, then he wished death for himself and said, It is better for me to die than to live. Wow, the deep stuff is really coming out now with Jonah. He is suicidal. He is so hurting. He is so angry. He's so bitter that he, he is contemplating death. And Jonah still isn't getting the lesson that God wants to teach him, right? He still doesn't want to see his own sin. He just is angry about everything else. He's angry about God. That's the big thing. He's angry about the, the people of, of Nineveh. He thinks they should die. They, he wants revenge on them. They have killed people in his family. They've killed Jews. They've killed people in Israel. They've attacked them, and Jonah hates them for that, and he thinks they should die. And he doesn't want them to have any of God's mercy, and he's angry at God for giving them that mercy. He would rather die than to admit that, that he is wrong about anything. That's, that's good. That's pride, right? And still God is patient. Still God is kind with Jonah. Is this deserved? Does Jonah deserve to have God's mercy and grace in this way? No, not at all. God is giving undeserved grace to Jonah. Then God said to Jonah, Is it? This is so smart, guys. This is so smart. God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? So God, remember, he started this chapter by asking Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah refuses to deal with that. And so God contrives this whole situation where it's hot. He makes the plant grow. The worm eats the plant. Jonah gets angry. And now God asks Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Ooh, this is so brilliant by God. God changes the, the question to see if Jonah will get it with a, a, a different context, okay? An object lesson instead of just, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah couldn't even deal with that. He couldn't even cross that bridge. He couldn't even really assess what was going on inside of him. But God gives him this little object, and now he says, is it right for you to be angry about this plant? This is so brilliant, he has Jonah exactly where he wants him to be. He's about to have a gotcha moment with Jonah, right? He's about to ex connect with Jonah's heart in a, in a really loving way. He said, it is right for me to be angry even to death. So Jonah does respond to God when God gives him this object lesson about the, the plant. And what, what's happening is Jonah's walking face first right into this lesson. Jonah's really confessing what he didn't want to deal with before. It's amazing how the Lord can do this. He, why he would be willing to go so far and to endure Jonah's 
really, you know, childish uh, actions, but God loves him and God wants him to grow and God is willing to put up with his childness, childishness, because he loves him and he cherishes him and he wants Jonah to grow. And he says, but the Lord said, so this is how the Lord now responds and, and gets into Jonah. The Lord said, you have had pity on this plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and much livestock. God, here he says, Jonah, Jonah, you, you weep for a plant. You are emotionally moved by a plant, Jonah. A stupid plant that was destroyed by a cute little worm. You are willing to love a plant, bro. A plant. And Jonah, I, your creator, your God, I love people. I love them so much. More than you could ever imagine, Jonah. I made people in my image and I love them. I do not want to destroy them. I want to show mercy to them. I want to deliver them and save them, Jonah. And Jonah, I am inviting you to love people like me. I'm inviting you to represent me, to communicate my heart to this world. You are compassionate for plants, and I am compassionate for people. You are in pain because you loved a plant and it was lost. Imagine my pain when people are lost, when I'm forced to judge them and bring judgment upon them. Imagine the pain that I feel in my heart, the infinite heart of God feels pain. Does God feel pain? How can God feel pain? These are deep questions, right? And it's actually very true that God does feel pain. In the book of Genesis, God said that he was in pain when he looked over the whole earth and saw that people were cruel, wicked, and unkind, and violent, and not they were so far from the image that he had created them, and he knew that he had to judge them, and he had to send the flood, but it was a thing that caused him great suffering in his heart. He loved people. He had a beautiful, gorgeous plan for them, like, like Rembrandt having a plan for a painting, and then some child just coming in and wrecking it. He may, he may shed a tear. He may weep for the plan that was lost that he had intended such a good plan. It describes this heart of God, this broken, hurting, pain-filled heart of God in the book of Hosea. God deeply uh, explains his pain in the book of Hosea, chapter 11, 
verse 7. Hosea 11, verse 7. He says, My people are bent on backsliding from me. Okay? Not God's plan, not God's will. God wants his people close to him. He loves them. And he says they are bent on backsliding. They are just so committed to sliding back from me, away from me. Although they call me the Most High, none of them exalt me. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I set you like Zeboim? My heart churns within me, God says. My sympathy is stirred. God is describing his emotional plight, his emotional struggle. When he knows he has to judge Israel, he knows he has to discipline his child, but he loves them so much, it is very difficult for him to discipline them. But he will because he loves them and he knows that he must do this. One lesson that we can pull from this is that if you love something, you open yourself up to being hurt. If you love something, you do open yourself up to being hurt. God loves deeply. He is the definition of love. And so he hurts more deeply than any person could ever fathom. Because he loves deeper than any person ever could, he hurts more than any person could. We think that we can choose to just not love and avoid being hurt. I'm just going to become a cold, shut-up person. But really what we're doing is we just choose to love things that we think that we can't lose or that are more reliable to not hurt us, right? Which things are not people. People are what God loves most. He does love people more than anything else. They are the pinnacle of his creation. He loves them so much. And he asks us, he calls us to love people also. So we will get hurt if we obey that call. Why would God do that? Why would God say, come join me in loving people and you will get hurt? Because pain isn't the enemy. Sin is the enemy. People do sin, but as we love them, we can, we can share with them a life that causes them to live a life that's not dominated by sin. God's transforming grace and power through his love can, can cause a, a, a life to no longer be a slave to sin, but a servant of God. And so sin is the enemy. Pain is not the enemy. Even in our own lives, if we experience pain through loving other people and being hurt, God says, I will heal you and I will comfort you in supernatural ways. I promise you. And furthermore, you will be joining and fellowshipping with me in the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. In other words, you will know Jesus at a deeper level than you ever thought possible by suffering for and with him. There's a, there's a supernatural connection, relational 
unity that happens when we suffer with Jesus. Pain is a path to a deeper fellowship with God. And that is what we were made for. And so pain, emotional, relational pain, is good for you. It is. We don't like that. You know, the whole world wants to end pain. But pain is a good path for us to walk down. Just ask any weightlifter or athlete whether pain is good, and they'll say, yes, it is good. Look, my wife snapped this picture of me when I was working out this morning. So you can see uh, right there just a great picture. Thanks, honey. Thanks, Dana, for taking that picture of me. Uh, You can see that, you know, great pain when I'm working out there. I'm sure you're all laughing a lot right now, but it's all right. Um, So how do we do this? How do we, how can we possibly choose pain, uh, choose relationship, choose to love when it's going to cause us pain? Well, the answer is we need to look at Jesus. We need to look at Jesus. He is the hero in every sermon that we preach. In every book of the Bible, Jesus is the hero. Even if he's not mentioned, it's really about him. Uh, He's the hero. So when we see Jesus, we see this exemplified in his life many times. We see him weeping over the city of Jerusalem. When they were planning his murder, he he loved them. He, He was still going straight towards Jerusalem, but he stopped and he looked at them and he could see them with his spiritual eyes and he could see that they were planning his murder and that broke his heart. He He loved them and he wept and he said, Jerusalem, I love you. And I'm I'm sad, I'm sorry that you you reject me, but I still love you. And I'm still going to do what you need, which is you need me to die on the cross for your sin and rebellion. And so that's what I'm going to do, even though you hate me. Then a couple days later, a week later, he was up on the cross and he wept and he emotionally was broken Because they rejected him and murdered him. Why did they do that? Because he loved them. He patiently loved them. And they did not understand. Jesus, he he knew that they were confused. The people who killed him. The people who nailed him to the cross. He knew that they were confused, lost, and that they could not save themselves. So he had pity on them because he patiently loved them. I'm going to quote again. I'm going to go back to our text in in Jonah now, and we're going to reread that last part. He said, And should I not have pity on Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand and much livestock? God sees sinners as spiritually blind. And Jesus came to heal the blind. He doesn't just bring a hand of judgment and and um, pain to them. He came to heal their blindness. Just like a doctor 
comes to heal someone who is sick. Sick people need a doctor. They need a patient doctor. Why do you think they're called patients? Ha <laughs> ha. But understand this, one truth, okay? That, that God never excuses their evil. God still says that the, the sins of Nineveh must be dealt with, or they will be destroyed because of their sin, but he, he also shows real mercy at the same time. God never excuses evil, but he also shows real mercy. And that's the big question for today that we're going to conclude our time with. How can God do that? How can God punish sin and be merciful at the same time? How can he be a truthful judge and a merciful, forgiving, gracious God all at the same time. How is this even possible? And the answer is given to us when we look at Jesus. Just like all the answers we really need are found at the cross, Jesus gives us this answer. God must punish sin, right? It's kind of his job. In the, in the West, here in America, we have a harder un time understanding this role that God has to play, this responsibility God has of judging sin because we live such comfortable lives. I've heard it said that it takes a lot of time in a safe suburban house to forget all the terrible sin and wickedness in this world. And that terrible sin and wickedness needs to be dealt with. We want it to be dealt with if we're really honest. We want God to punish evil. And God must and he will punish sin. He will. It is his job and he will fulfill his job. Yet, God will be merciful. Forgiving and kind to undeserving people. How can he do both? How both? And how is God's goodness really shown through both of those things? If God is good, and God is good all the time, then is he good when he's judging sin? And is he good when he's forgiving sin? And how can both of those things happen at the same time? The answer is Jesus. Just simply Jesus. Precious Jesus. On the cross, Jesus allowed God to judge sin. Why? Because God is good. And a good God must judge sin. He must deal with it. He must wash it away, wipe it away, pour out his wrath and anger upon it because it cannot be just forgotten. It must be paid for. And so Jesus on the cross shows us that God is good and he paid for our sin, all the sin. And on the cross, Jesus offers grace and mercy and forgiveness because God is good. On the cross, Jesus extends his hands and says, I freely offer to you all of my grace, all of my mercy, because I am good and I love you. Only on the cross can we see both God's 
truthfulness and justice and righteousness combined with his mercy, love, grace, and forgiveness, all to say he loves us through Jesus. If God was only a judge, only concerned about righteousness and truth, then we would all go to hell because we have all broken his righteous standards. If God was only mercy, then evil would spread all throughout the world and even into his own kingdom and everything would become hell. Everything would become hell if only mercy was shown by God. If God never dealt with sin, evil and hell would spread like a disease and infect the entire creation. His righteousness and justice are both measures of God's goodness. The righteousness of Jesus and the justice of Jesus both measure God's goodness. Let's see how real quick. We think God will overlook some sin that should be punished. Or maybe that God would only love people who obey all the commandments all the time. But the cross, the cross, that's what shows God's goodness. Both righteousness and justice. The cross the cross is what does that. So this book ends right here. We've, we've just ended the book, right? There, it ends on a cliffhanger. What does Jonah do? That's the question that just hangs in my mind. What does Jonah do? Does Jonah get the lesson or not? Well, here's the answer. It's not important. What? We, in all our movies, we love to have an ending. We hate when there's a cliffhanger or an ending that's unexpected to a show or a movie. And here we get that. It's not important. It's not important to the author what happened to Jonah. It's this way because the author wants you to think, what would you do? If you were Jonah, which you are, what would you do? We get to the end of the book and realize that the arrow that's in the bow that God is aiming is not aimed at Jonah, it's aimed at us. You just, you open your eyes and it's right there. God has been dealing with us the whole time. We are Jonah. Did Jonah learn his lesson? Don't know. Will I? We get to write our own ending to this book. We get to finish the story. Will you accept God's goodness and show his grace and patience and mercy to this world? Are you going to walk in humility? Are you going to trust him in faith? Will you patiently love others even though they hurt you? Or are you going to shrink back in a shell of self-protective, Jonah-like isolation? It's all about you, these questions. And it's all directly connected with how you connect with the cross of Jesus. Your response to all these questions is going to be 
fleshed out. And it's going to go one way or the other based on your connection with the cross of Jesus Christ. If you look at that cross every day, if you meditate upon that cross, if you drink it in and you, you take it as yours, if you see, you pick up your cross daily and you follow Christ, you have your answer of which way you're going to go. There's going to be humility and faith as your relational realities as you follow Jesus Christ. But if you choose your own way, if you choose to be religious, ultra-religious, thinking that God is concerned about your good works as the measure of how he accepts you or gives you grace or mercy... It's never going to work. If you go your own way and just choose to sin and sin however much you want, those are both not the way of the cross. If we choose to go that way, we're going to not get anything out of this book. We're going to be just like Jonah was, angry, bitter. The world is just going to be a place of pain for us that is not really productive Whereas there's still pain when you pick up your cross and follow Jesus, but the pain is fruitful. God never wastes a moment of the pain uh, that he asks us to go through, but he redeems it, he, he sanctifies it, and he gives you his own spirit as his consolation, his comfort for all the pain that he asks us to go through by loving this world. So, love this world because Christ has loved you. Father, we thank you for this book of Jonah, how we have learned so much. And I think there's even more that we can dive into. Uh, and so, Lord, I pray that you would keep our hearts in a humble place, that we would keep looking to you and trusting in you every moment of every day. Jesus, you are an example of perfect love. You are God's love in human form. And we love you not because of anything good in us, but because you loved us first. We don't deserve it. We couldn't, we couldn't earn it, but you love us. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, God bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you this week. God bless you all.